And we, the, the message to the church at Ephesus was that, was that they had done many great works, but that they had left off their first love, the love of the brethren. But the Lord doesn't leave them with an exhortation, with that admonition. He again acknowledges the good things that they had done, uh, that they hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, uh, which he also hates. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. And we noted that the, tree, that the way of the tree of life was kept at the end of uh, Genesis, I believe is the second, third chapter, um, that the tree of life has always been in existence. And in the, uh, during the millennial reign, there will, the tree of life will again appear. And it will not be you and I that needs to eat of it. We will already have, uh, we will already be in immortal bodies. Uh, the, there will be no need for us to eat of the tree of life. But those that, have, uh, that are the Lord's in the millennial kingdom, they will eat of the tree of life. They, uh, that they may live to be, uh, the, that they will live through the entire millennial reign. Those that are the Lord's. Those that are not, we read in the scriptures, will die at a hundred. They will, uh, that will be considered uh, the age of a child during the time of the millennial reign. Uh, and those that are the Lord's, they will live through the entire millennial reign. So you imagine those that live through the tribulation, they may go into the millennial reign at 100, they, and then they would live 1,000 years. So they would be in their mortal body 1,100 years, or however old it, they were when the great tribulation ended and the millennial reign began. Something, something to think about as you read those passages uh, about the visible reign, the visible kingdom of God, as there are many that, many that speak of that. And he will give to him that overcomes to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Paradise, as we had also noted, uh, used to be in the midst of the earth, uh, in the unseen realm, in the Greek term Hades, in what is translated in our Bible as hell. Uh, it is, hell is the Hades, Sheol is the Hebrew term, is the unseen world, the unseen realm. Uh, there used to be two aspects of it. You think of Lazarus and the rich man, Luke 16. That, uh, that passage shows that very thing. Abraham's bosom is also, uh, Christ references Abraham's bosom to the thief on the cross. That today thou shalt be with me in paradise. When Christ descended into hell... It was not to, uh, and preached to the souls in hell. It was not to those that were on the rich man's side, giving them one last chance as it is preached today. That is not the case. We're not saved by chance. We're not saved by a decision. We're saved by grace and grace alone. That grace is not only sufficient, but it is efficient. It is not only all sufficient, we only need grace to be saved, but it is also efficient. It gets the job done. God's grace is, is, what, is what saves. Faith is what brings us into an understanding of what God has done on our behalf. That paradise we see in 1 Corinthians 12. JJ is really enjoying the lesson this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul's caught up to the, to the, the third heaven, the heaven of heavens, God, where God's throne is, there's three heavens, Heaven's where the birds fly, and the heaven where the planets are, and the heaven where God's throne is, the third heaven. In the beginning, God created the heaven 
That is the hey is the Hebrew term and Shemayim is the Hebrew term for heaven. Shemayim is plural. It, uh, the Hebrew language has three, uh, I'm not sure if this is the accurate term to describe it, but three tenses. English has two. We have singular and plural, meaning two or more. Hebrew has single, uh, singular, dual, and plural, meaning one, two, three or more. Elohim, you may have heard that term. It is translated God uh, uh, with a capital G in many, many instances. But it is also translated gods when it is speaking of idols. That is because Elohim is, is plural. It is three or more. Uh, but our God is only one God. He isn't gods, but he is plural. He is, there is a plurality in the Godhead. As we read in 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Um, but that paradise... Paul, that Paul talks about, the, the third heaven, the heaven of heavens. He also calls it later on in that same passage, the paradise. He was caught up unto paradise. Paradise used to be in the midst of the earth, in the unseen realm, in Hades, in hell. But Christ, when he led captivity captive in Ephesians chapter 4, citing a passage from the Old Testament, he led those that were in Abraham's bosom. It was like a prison. They could not leave. When he went to preach to those in hell, it was those whom he had saved. This is what I have done for you. He declared the gospel unto them, the good news, what Christ had already done on their behalf, why they were separate. They may not have completely understood why there are people over there in torments, and we're over here while we can't leave. We're not in torments. What's, what is the difference between us and them? I don't know the, full, I don't know the extent uh, that they understood everything that Christ had done. I know that they did not understand everything. For we're told in 1 Peter or 2 Peter. Um, let me get to that passage so that you can see it from the Word of God. It must be 1 Peter 1.10. Yes. 1 Peter 1.9, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. The salvation of your souls is what's being referred to in verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Isaiah was given the words of Isaiah 53. They were not his words. He was given, those words were given to him by God and he spoke them faithfully. He did not understand. That's what this passage is talking about. Isaiah did not understand all those words. So they inquired and searched diligently. Who is this speaking of? What is it talking about? You and I know what it's talking about. We've been given the full, the full revelation of our Lord God. We know exactly who Isaiah 53 was about and exactly what he accomplished. But the prophets of old did not have all of that information. It is a great blessing that we have. It is something uh, Christ said, to whom much is given, much will be required. We, we have been given a vast amount uh, of very valuable knowledge. Uh, and it is something that we ought not to waste. It is, not, it is something that we ought not to waste. It's something that we can be extremely grateful and thankful for each and every day, that we have a, a, a full-orbed 
or at least comparatively, relatively, understanding of the salvation of our souls that the prophets of old did not have. They, uh, that leading captivity captive, he led the paradise that was Abraham's bosom in, the, in Hades in the unseen realm up to heaven. That, uh, that heaven, that paradise of God is now in the third heaven. And we pick up at verse 8. And unto the angel, or the messenger, of the church in Smyrna. Now, one thing also to notice, this is not, uh, you read through the scriptures, the church is referenced in one of two ways every time. It is either a local body, which is located in a city, which is what we have here, the church in Smyrna, not, not the church of Smyrna, this isn't all the, all the believers in Smyrna. This is the church that's located in Smyrna, the local body of baptized believers that have covenanted together to worship God out of his word, worship the Lord Christ because he's the one that has saved them. That local body, and then there's also the other way it is referenced. It is an institution. So if I speak of marriage, I can be speaking of just my marriage or just somebody else's marriage or all of the institution of marriage. Marriage is between man and woman. That's speaking of the institution of marriage. Anything else isn't marriage. Doesn't matter what men want to call it. Doesn't matter if they want to call it marriage. It's not marriage. God defines what marriage is. He's the one that created that covenant. He's the one that created that institution. Acts 20, 28. The church of God was purchased with the blood of God. You go and read that passage, you see, you see that, that statement made, the, the, the church of God being uh, purchased with his own blood, the blood, the blood of God, the blood of the Lord Christ. That is speaking of the institution. Every local body that's being spoken of there is, uh, every local, local uh, church body is a, uh, is a group of saved people. Will there be occasionally the, an unsaved person make it through and become a member? Sure, that happens. And, and we'll, we'll see, you see that as we go through these churches in the book of the Revelation. But it, it, that was not the intent. That isn't, it isn't the intent to just let goats join the sheep. That's not, that's not what we seek to do. We seek to keep the church body pure. We seek to keep the church body uh, as just sheep that have been brought back to the sheepfold, that have been brought back to the fold by the Lord Christ. So with that intent in mind, because that is the intent behind the local body, speaking of the church as being purchased with his own blood, every single person that makes up the, the local New Testament body has been purchased by the blood of Christ, therefore the institution has been purchased by the blood of Christ. That is how it is being, that's, that's how it's being spoken of. I know it is taught today that it is an invisible, universal church. That is, not, that is not how the term church is used in the scriptures. The, the, there, there, is a, there is a body of believers um, that uh, now you're getting to my opinion. There are people that are not members of a New Testament church that I believe are saved. Take Calvin, John Calvin, for example, Martin Luther, thank people, many of the Puritans, uh, they did not join a local New Testament church by how the scriptures define it. Were they a member of what was called a church? Yes. 
but was it, a, it, was it in accordance with the scriptures run how the scriptures describe it? It was not. So by definition, it could not be a, a New Testament church by definition. Do I believe that they were saved men? Yes. Do I think that they're saved men that aren't part of a local New Testament body like this one here? Yes. We're not saved by church membership, and praise God for that. The thief on the cross, he himself, he didn't even have time to do any good works. He didn't do anything. Yet the Lord said to him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. There, there is uh, much, much grace uh, that is not shown uh, today, that, 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 ought, that ought to be shown. We have some, you know, that say, oh, you're not a, a take the, the church of Christ by, by name. They say, if you're not a member of our church, you're not, you're not saved. If you're not baptized in our church, as if baptism is what saves. Uh, if baptism is what saves, then, then why did Christ have to die? If it's anything that we did, our faith even, why did Christ have to die? It's because it's not anything that we do that saves. It is grace, as, we, as, as was spoken of earlier. And, and again, as I, as I state every time, if there's ever any questions, comments, anything you'd like to add, feel free to chime right in. You won't, you won't hurt my feelings at all. So unto the messenger of the church in Smyrna, write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. The first and the last. We've examined passages that say that in, in Isaiah previously, but let, let's go there and uh, examine them again. It'll be Isaiah 40 through 48. Uh, you'll, find, you'll find that many, many times. And I apologize. I, uh, 40, 48 and verse 12. This is a new Bible of mine, so I'm not... Uh, familiar with exactly where everything is. Um, uh, it is uh, uh, it, things are very different than they were in my, in my previous Bible, but 40, 48, and 12 is, is one passage where that is used. Hearken unto me, O Jacob, and Israel my called. I am he. I am the first. I also am the last. My hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand together. This is our Lord God. He is the first and the last. Jesus, you'll, you'll remember in the gospel according to John, he said, uh, if you do not believe that I am he, is how it will read in our King James Bible. But you'll notice that he is italicized. It is not found in the Greek language. It was added because that's proper English. It was added for our understanding of what he's saying. But if you remove that, because again, it's not found in the Greek. If you do not believe that ego I me, I am, you shall perish, you shall die in your sins. Christ is the I am. He is the I am that I am from Exodus chapter 3. He is the one who Moses saw. He is, he is our Lord God. He is the first and the last. He is the one who was dead and is alive. He died. He did truly die. It was not a fake death. Otherwise, God would be role-playing, faking. It was a, it was a true death. He did, he did die. 
and he died on our behalf. He, didn't, uh, he was immortal. The Lord Christ, when he, when he makes appearances in the Old Testament, he, that was his immortal body, the same body that he has now. But a body was prepared for him in the womb of Mary. Hebrews chapter 10 describes that. Sacrifice uh, and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. God didn't, uh, to ultimately take away sin, God did not want sacrifice and offering. It couldn't do it. It wouldn't happen. That's not, that's not what those sacrifices and offerings were intended to actually accomplish. Did they cover sin? Yes. As far as the Mosaic Covenant goes, they did make a covering for sin. They covered it. They prevented the judgment of God from falling upon Israel at that time. It did eventually come. God eventually said, you, you're, you're not walking in my ways. You're just assuming the sacrifices will take care of it. They would go and sin and then, oh, I'll just, I'll just make a sacrifice. That's, that's making the law of God uh, to be a, a licensure for sin, and that wasn't what his intent was. But as far as taking away sin, that sacrifice and offering would never, could never, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. But a body... Thou hast prepared me, a body that was prepared for the Lord Christ in the, womb of the, in the womb of the virgin. That body God would use to take away sin. That body is what was used, uh, that was subject to tired, being tired and hungry and thirsty and everything that we experience as far as that's concerned. Christ also experienced, and when he died... He died. He did, truly, he did truly die. Die does not mean to cease to exist. It's a changing, it's a changing of location, ultimately, for us, for, for us humans, for us men. It is not ceasing to exist, as some believe it to be. Uh, it is a, simply a changing of location, whether, whether to torments or, or whether uh, to be in the presence of the Lord. But we continue. Verse 9, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are, but are the synagogue of Satan. So he, he tells those at Smyrna uh, would provide a comforting word. We, we know that God knows everything. We know that he knows exactly what we go through on a daily basis. We know that. But sometimes, sometimes the natural man gets in the way and we get down. You, you read the Psalms, as, uh, as I do uh, on a daily basis. You see time and time. The Psalms are very experiential, describing how the psalmist feels. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why, why are you far away, O my God? That's how we know that that's, that that's impossible for God to be far from us. It's not, that's not actual. He's, he lives within us. He, he's always right near with us. We saw that Christ dwells in the midst of his people, dwells in the midst of his churches. But that's how the psalmist feels. When, when, they don't, when the psalmist didn't feel God's presence near and dear unto him, when he's going through a great distressing time and his prayers aren't being answered, in the time that he thinks that they should be answered. He feels that God is far away. Here, Christ lets them know, I know what you're going through. 
I have my eye on you. I know your works and tribulation, the, the, the pressure that's being applied on you, the persecution, and the poverty. And the poverty. They were willing for the name of Christ to live in poverty, but thou art rich. I don't, I'm not sure that he means in material wealth, but spiritual wealth, which is, which is the greater of the things which is uh, far greater than any material wealth we will ever we will ever we will will ever hold in this life. That material wealth it'll go up in flame. It'll perish, but the but the eternal things, they're eternal. The spiritual things, they will last forever. The um, uh, and Christ makes that reference uh, to whom is faithful with much, uh, much will be given. I'm drawing a blank on that on that passage, uh, but to whom uh, um, to whom much is given, much is required. I'm familiar with that, but I, I don't even remember where where the passage I'm thinking of is. Um, either either way, if somebody ends up finding that, uh, we'll we'll take we'll take a look at it. But that's in that passage. He's talking about if you're faithful with material wealth. You'll also be faithful with spiritual wealth. And here, they had been faithful with what material wealth they had been given. And they are rich in spiritual wealth. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not. So apparently, the Jew, these, these Jews, and they were probably uh, Jews that were descended from Abraham. We'll, we'll look at what... A, a Jew and what a true Jew is in just a moment. But they were probably not blaspheming the name of Jehovah, but they were blaspheming the name of the Lord Christ, saying that he was not Jehovah, saying that he was not, uh, saying that he was a maniac and not the, not the Messiah, saying that, he was, uh, uh, saying that he was crazy and not the Christ, uh, if you've ever, a lunatic instead of Lord, if you've ever heard those uh, alliterations made before. Uh, Paul, as we noted last, last time I was here, Paul caused many to blaspheme, caused many to uh, recant their profession of faith. That was, he took great pride in doing that. And these, these Jews, which are not, most likely were doing the same thing. They took joy in causing Christians to recant their profession of faith, whether, whether by... Uh, uh, threatenings and persecutions. Uh, there were many, many different ways uh, that that people have done that in the past. You you look at the Baptists, how they have been greatly persecuted throughout all ages, uh, may, much by the Church of Rome, um, the uh, the Inquisition, that was causing people to to recant their their profession of faith to line up with what they believed. You must believe. That isn't how, that isn't how we're brought uh, into the kingdom of God. We're brought into the kingdom of God by God Himself, not by the forced confession. But these Jews, which are uh, that say they are Jews and are not, come to come to the book of uh, the second chapter of the Epistle to the Romans, and we'll see what it is a true Jew is. Romans chapter 2 and verse 29. Now we'll get verse 28 for context also. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, 
neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now, men will take this and say, we're Jews. See, it says, uh, not, not, the, not the fleshly circumcision, but the circumcision of the heart. If that were the case, then Paul would not then continue to, dis to distinguish between Jew and Gentile, because there would be only Jew in Christ. But you've heard the statement in the book of Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek in Christ. We're all one in Christ. If we, we, would, not be, we would not be one in Christ, we would be Jews in Christ. But if we're one in Christ, why do we then want to make ourselves Jews? I don't, I don't understand why, why men desire to see it that way. But here he's talking about the, the Jew, the descendant of Abraham. Uh, he that, that calls himself a Jew can only be a true Jew if he, ha if he was both, if he had the, the uh, uh, circumcision of the heart. If, if, he, if he wants the circumcision of the flesh, great. Timothy, for example, as we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. Timothy was not circumcised in the flesh, but he, yet he was a true Jew. We'll see that come to, come to uh, uh, Philippians. I believe it's Philippians chapter 3. Yes, Philippians 3 and verse 2. Paul is telling the Philippians to beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, the mutilation of the flesh. That, that's, he's speaking of the Judaizers, those that would seek to mingle grace and circumcision, grace and works. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He's saying, don't follow them. Follow us. Follow Paul and Timothy, because Timothy is the, is the other author. You read, you read at the beginning of this, in verse one, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy. He's saying, don't follow them. Follow us. We are the true circumcision. If you're going to follow somebody that's a Jew, follow a true Jew. Follow Paul and Timothy. The church of Jesus Christ is not the true circumcision. You and I are not even considered that. There is no discussion where Gentiles become the true circumcision or true Jews or any, anything like that. If, if that's the case, we're missing a large swath of, uh, we're missing a passage that teaches that thing that Gentiles become Jews through Christ. We, we in no way become Jews because of what the Lord Christ has done for us. We're all one in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile in Christ. There's neither male nor female in Christ. There's neither bond nor free in Christ. We recognize those things in the flesh. The world doesn't want to recognize those things in the flesh, especially male and female, but we recognize those things in the flesh that we are still uh, not, uh, that, that we are not exactly the same. That there is still Jew and Gentile in the flesh, but not in Christ. That's why there's not two different kinds of churches. Jew and Gentile can be in the same church body because it doesn't matter what we are. Barbarian and Scythian, rivaling factions, can be in the same church body because it doesn't matter what we are in the flesh. We're one in Christ. That is a greater unity 
than whatever it is that we are in the flesh. Uh, Acts chapter 16 is where we see that Timothy was a Jew. Acts 16 and verse 1, we'll begin there. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in all those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. He had Timothy circumcised because Timothy was a Jew. He did not have Titus circumcised because Titus was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. There, there are, it is a practice today for health reasons to do that very thing, but it isn't for spiritual reasons. There, there were health reasons to do it, but that wasn't why, why God told Abraham to do it. It was a sign of the covenant. It was the sign, yes, sir. Because he was a Jew. His mother being a Jewess makes him a Jew. Uh, because of the Jews that were in the region, it would, it would have, I, I'm expecting that the reason was it would cause them to stumble. Um, well, he, he, he's not a Jew. Uh, why? He, he's, he, he's not a Jew, so why, why are you even speaking to us about Jewish tradition? Having him circumcised would show to them he was a Jew. Uh, um, and that, that's why I think he says because of those Jews in the region. Um, because what did Paul do whenever he was going to evangelize? He knew that there would be people that would want to hear the words that he had at the synagogue. Because when God awakened a person, they, they would, there would be only one place that they could go to fulfill, that, uh, fulfill what God had placed in them. The truth, the closest thing to the truth that they had was the synagogue. It wouldn't be the pantheon uh, or whatever, whatever uh, place of, of idol worship. They wouldn't, have the, they wouldn't find what they were looking for there. The closest thing that they would have would be the synagogue, and that's why Paul went there, because he knew that. He knew that to be the case, and that's why when he went there, some would follow him. When he went down to the river uh, and later on in that very same chapter and preached to Lydia in 1614, and Paul, or God opened her heart to attend to the things spoken of by Paul, that city didn't have, uh, I believe it was Thyatira, did not have a synagogue, so they met at the river. That was the synagogue, um, and, but that's why Paul went there because he knew that there would be people awakened by the Spirit of God there. Um, uh, hopefully that, that helps. So, so as to not uh, cause a stumbling block. Well, he's a Jew. Why doesn't, he follow, uh, why doesn't he follow this? It isn't to gain anything. It was uh, uh, to cause him to not be a stumbling block before the Jews. Paul, Paul did whenever, I believe it's Acts 26, he even went into the temple and offered a sacrifice, knowing that that sacrifice doesn't do anything. He did it so that he could get before a bunch of people and, and tell them, this is what the Word of God says. Who, this is the Lord Christ. He is the very Christ. And, and uh, he did that 
not not to n knowing that that sacrifice does absolutely nothing. That it was a picture that pointed to the Lord Christ. The old uh, the old was passing away, and that's what the Book of Hebrews. Well, th well, thank you. If there's anything anything along with those questions, anything you think I missed, or or uh, have any questions about any of that, feel free to uh, uh, chime right in. Um, anyway, to Timothy being a uh, uh, being a Jew, that is why Paul would have had him circumcised. The Jews that are not were those that were circumcised, but they had never had the circumcision of the heart. They were not true Jews. They were uh, uh, Jews of the flesh only, but not the ones that had had the circumcision of the heart also. Therefore, not being, not being a true Jew, but are the synagogue of Satan. They're following the works of Satan. The truth had already been told. What, what those things were, uh, what those things pointed towards, had already been told. Those that didn't heed them, they were, they were following the works of this world, the, the, the words of Satan. Did God really say? That's, what, that's what, how, how Satan deceived Eve. And when, when, they, when they would say to Paul and, and the other apostles and, and the other Christians that taught the word of the truth, no, God didn't, God didn't say that. This is, this is the Mosaic covenant. That's better. We need to stick with this. And that's much of what the book of Hebrews is teaching against. Don't go back. There's nothing to go back to. It's all type and picture. It's all image and shadow of the Lord Christ, of what was to come. It's all shadow of things that were to come, of the synagogue of Satan. Now, synagogue, this building is technically a synagogue by strict definition. Synagogue just simply means it would translate to gathering place. You, you, the church is a people. Uh, is a local body of people. If we met outside, we'd still be a church as much as we are if we meet inside. But this building that we meet in is a gathering place. It is, by strict definition, a synagogue. Now, we, uh, we call uh, a synagogue a place where the Jews meet. And what do the, uh, what do, what do the Muslims meet in? Uh, a mosque. Um, and we've just taken, you know, they, a mosque and a, and a synagogue to them is not a people. The church is a people. We meet in a building, and many times it's just become part of our language that we go to church. Well, we actually go to meet with the church. Uh, uh, I understand that that's not how we speak, but just so we understand where we've, you know, somewhat departed from uh, uh, from how the Word of God uses terms. Um, uh, as long as we understand where how those terms are actually used rather than reading our definitions into them but they were of the the gathering place the fo following the works and the words of satan fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer behold the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried and ye shall have tribulation 10 days be thou faithful unto death and i will give thee a crown of life he, remember he said in verse 9, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty. He provides a word of comfort. And here a word of exhortation. Don't fear. 
I, I have yet to count how many times fear not or do not fear, be, be not afraid uh, is found in the word of God. But it is far more uh, than we're told to be afraid of anything other than God himself. Um, I, I'm, I don't know that I can think of a time that we're told to fear anything other than God himself. Um, no, nothing's coming to mind, but here is again another one of those passages. Don't fear. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. And he tells them what they are going to suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. That is, those that would uh, walk after the teachings of the devil. Shall cast some of them into prison, that ye may be tried, that ye may be proved, that ye may be tested. Ye shall have tribulation ten days. Now, I take that as a literal ten days. Those at the church in Smyrna would, would be cast into prison. They would have tribulation for ten literal days. I don't know exactly what went on. I don't believe that we have any historical writings that would teach us what went on in those days. But he's, he provides an exhortation, an admonition for them to be faithful unto death. If that's, what, if that's what should happen, and we know that there are many, many martyrs that have been faithful unto death. Uh, you, you hear of uh, uh, the story of Polycarp, that he was uh, tied to a post, or was it a cross, and then burned at the stake? Uh, I, believe, I believe he was burned at the stake, and he told the, told the officers, you don't even need to tie me, I will sit here in silence. They tied him anyway, and he was so silent that they, they weren't sure if he was dead or not, so they went ahead and, and, and I believe they, they uh, skewered him. And, that, and he squirmed, and that's how they knew he wasn't dead yet. It's some, something along those lines. But God gave him grace to go through what it is that he went through. So, so many martyrs perished the same way. They were faithful. They were given the grace that they, that they needed to go through what it is that they went through. Because any, any, any man that would go through that of their own accord would not be faithful, uh, would, would recant to save their life. Um, but those that have been given by, by the Spirit of God, the power, the grace to make it through those things, they would not. Be faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. They're promised. You die for my name, you'll, you will have eternal life. You will, I will give you a crown of life, something that, that we are promised, especially in the New Testament, but, but throughout the Old as well. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He, he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Uh, Siri found something for a church building. He that, uh, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Again, even though the, these uh, believers would have already been born again, uh, we, we've noted in, in, the, uh, in the Gospels, especially the Gospel according to Matthew, you read Matthew thirteen fifteen, Blessed are your ears, for they hear. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Christ acknowledges that the disciples had already been born again. They'd already been given ears to hear. But how many times did he then uh, did, uh, exhort them, admonish them, O ye of little faith. Now, he didn't say ye of no faith, because they had little faith. They understood some things. They had been given ears to hear and eyes to see some things. But they didn't understand a great many things 
until after Christ's ascension, the 40 days where he taught them all things concerning the kingdom of God. And by the way, there, I think I've noted in the past, if there was not going to be a visible kingdom of God where Israel was head among the nations, when there in Acts chapter 1, after the 40 days that he had taught them all things concerning the kingdom of God, that would have been, and they asked, is it now that you're going to return the kingdom to Israel? Speaking of the time when Israel will be head of the nations, if, if that would never happen, that would have been the perfect time for Christ to say, you guys have not understood anything I have just taught you for 40 days. But he says it is not, the, it is not for you to know the day or the hour that my Father has planned to do these things. I forget exactly how that passage is worded. That will happen. That will, that will happen. Here, uh, the, the similar, a similar thing. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Those that have been given understanding by the Spirit of God to understand what it is he's referring to, he, he tells them to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And I'll, I'll get through that quickly. First John, he that overcomes, First John 5, 4, Reads, and I rejoiced. No, that's the second. First John 5 4. There we go. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even, or that is our faith. Faith is what overcomes the world. Believing, faith is not an esoteric thing. It isn't something that's just out there in the ether. It is, faith, biblical faith, looks like something. It, it, there, there, are, there are works, there are beliefs, there are things that go in line with faith. Walking according to the flesh also looks like something, not trusting God. David, when he said, God, the God that delivered me out of the hand of the bear and the lion, that God shall deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand as well. He believed God. He believed that God would deliver that, that giant, Goliath, into his hand because that giant, Goliath, was defying the armies of the living God. And he knew that God wouldn't allow that. He, he, that is, that is a, a great example of walking by faith, believing that God will do what he says he will do. That is, believing his promises, walking, walking by believing those promises, not seeking to do things under our own power. That faith, believing God, is what overcomes the world. He that overcomes, and, and Christ said in John sixteen thirty three, don't fear, I've overcome the world. Faith overcomes the world. Our Lord Christ overcame the world by believing everything his fa- every promise his Father ever gave him. He, def- he overcame the world. And he also, I believe it's Galatians that, that describes when before faith came, there's always, faith has always been, uh, believing God has always been there. Abraham believed God. He had faith in God. He believed what God said. Faith has always been around. What's it talking about? It's talking about before Christ came. So faith is occasionally even put for the object of that faith. When Christ said, thy faith hath made thee whole, it isn't the act of faith. It is Christ, the object of faith, that made them whole. It is he that healed them, not their act that healed them. Here, Christ, faith in Christ, believing his word, overcomes 
and, and those that have faith in Christ shall not be hurt by the second death. Those that have faith in Christ, they're, they're not going to, though we may die the first death, we may die before the Lord comes and experience the first death. The second death has no power on us. We will, we will not go into the lake of fire. We've been, we've been promised that very thing here and other places. We're a little late, so thank you for your time and attention this morning. We'll pick up at verse 12 in a couple